Thanks, Matt. Stacy, good to have Stacy with us as well. We're excited for what's going on. I'm still a little shaken up by that uh, uh, movie scene. I'm just a little uptight and a little nervous, not sure how it's going to come out. The acting is just like amazing. So, Well, listen, we're excited to be with you. We're in a series we call First John because we're in the book called First John. It's uh, all about this true life, real love. And you have an outline that uh, you're going to find helpful as we spend time going through a certain section of God's Word in First John 3, 11 through 15. Let me read the text and then uh, want to set up the theme. The theme is all about uh, this whole subject of love, finding true or real love. Let me read First John 3, 11. If you have your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the chair rack. And if you don't have a Bible at home, you're welcome to take that Bible with you. And that can be your permanent Bible as well. But we use the Word of God to lead us, to guide us, to teach us. And uh, I wouldn't have a thing to say if it wasn't for the Bible. And so it's good to have something like that. 1 John 3.11 says this, and it's all about love. He says, But this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother, And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be afraid or be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our hearts before him. And whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. This is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. The one who keeps His commandment abides in Him and He in Him. We know this, that He abides in us and by the Spirit whom He has given us. It's all about love. There's... There's things that we love to love, and there are things that we don't love to love. For example, who doesn't want to love a little puppy dog like that, right? It looks like it's missing its legs, but it's still very lovable. And of course, who wouldn't want to love a little tiny, cute little kitten like that? Doesn't it just stir your heart? Doesn't bring a tear to your eye? And then, of course, there's nothing more lovable and huggable than a precious little baby with a little dog licking, licking it. The uh, dog got a little stink eye going on there. I'm not sure what that's all about. But uh, very level. And who doesn't love a good, you know, 31 flavors, right? So there are lots of things that we love to love. We love to love those things. Do we love to love? No. Are we supposed to love? That's a good question. What about these folks over there in the Middle East? ISIS. Do we love to love them? What about this guy? Remember him? Charles Manson. Craziest, nuttiest, murderous, most evil man that is out there. 
Does God call us to love Him as much as He wants us to love the little doggy, the little puppy, the little baby, the little ice cream? And then there's this guy that parks in the parking lot over here <laughs> that we want to take our key out and we're not sure, oh, should I or shouldn't I? And I say, what's wrong with you? Why do you do that to us? Or if you're the guy in the spot that's in between these two cars and you're so aggravating, this just, just stirs. Should I love the person in front and back? Should I love them? Am I supposed to love them? And then you're going down the 55 freeway and somebody cuts you off. You just want to go crazy. So what I wanted to set up is that there are things that we love to love and, and then there are things that we don't love to love and yet we want to explore how that should be true for each of us. And the command is this, we are called to love one another. That's what John begins with. He says in verse 11, but this is the message which we have heard from the beginning that we should love for one another. Notice how he says it's the message we heard from the beginning. This is not a new concept. This is not something that's startling. Like most of us are waking up this morning and realizing, oh my goodness, I'm supposed to love one another. So it's been an ongoing story that God has commanded us that we should love one another. So I asked this question in my own mind's eye as I read that. Is there anyone that doesn't know that we're supposed to love one another? Anybody that didn't know that, that's like, wow, that's the first time I've ever heard that in my life. So I see no hands. So if you promise to always love one another, can we just go home right now and just be happy that we came? Should that be just the end of it? The challenge is that we know that we're supposed to love one another, and yet here's the other question that I ask myself as I study this week. So why do we sometimes fail to love some people? If we know we're supposed to do that, and you don't need me to tell you to do that. We don't even need to John. Jesus said in John 13, as John loves to talk about love, he said in John 13, by this they'll know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And so we know this. But do we sometimes fail to do this? We do. And so I want to explore that and then show you how it's supposed to be put into action. Some do fail to love. And that's where then John goes. He says, look, I want you to love one another from the beginning. It's been that way. This is not a new truth. It's been an outstanding truth. But then he goes on and gives us the negative example of Cain and then the positive example of Jesus. Well, here's the negative example. We can learn from Cain. Not as Cain who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. And we know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Let me break that down into four reasons why we don't always love the way we should. We learn from God's Word these practical reasons why we don't love, even though we know we're supposed to do that. Well, we need to go to Genesis 4. I'd like to go to Genesis 4 where John is referencing this Cain and Abel story that many of us, I suspect, are very familiar with. But right from the beginning, after the Garden of Eden, Eve and Adam sin, they start having children. They have two boys. They're Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel, right from the beginning, have a hard time getting along with each other. In Genesis chapter 4, it says, Now the man Adam had relations with his wife Eve. And she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. So she recognizes the gift of God that, he ha that she has given birth to this child. 
And again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. So Cain and then Abel, they are born. Two different occupations. Abel was a keeper of the flocks. Cain was a tiller of the ground. No problem there. So we need different gifted people to do different jobs. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. We don't know how he knew that he was supposed to do that, but God obviously gave instructions. I, I ask that you worship me. I am the one true God. So he brought from the fruit of the ground. Nothing wrong with that. Later, when Moses are, is given the commandments in Leviticus, there are offerings that come from the ground, not just from the meat or from the blood. So we know that that's going to be okay as the instructions follow. And Abel, on his part, also brought the first liens of the flock and other fat portions. Again, God must have given insight there because Moses obviously had not been given the commandments yet. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? Your anger then leads to depression. His countenance has fallen. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? Good behavior leads to good feelings. That's God's advice to Cain. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. Sin wants to overwhelm you, Cain, but you must master it. And then Cain told his brother Abel, probably told him, God has told me I am wrong. God has blessed you because you're right. And I resent that. I suspect that somewhere in there that's going on. And it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he says, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And then he goes on to describe how he has... The blood of his brother has cried out before God. Let me take that little story that John references. Of all the stories in the Old Testament John could have chosen, of someone who didn't love, he chose Cain. So what can we learn from Cain? Why did Cain not love his brother? I mean, good grief, siblings. This This should be the greatest kind of love that is going on. The first thing that struck me is this verse, in verses 4 and 5, Genesis 4, that I just read. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry. What's going on? Cain brings to God his offering of the ground. Cain is thinking he's doing the right thing somewhere, somehow. He didn't have to do anything, but he did it. And when when he brought it, God looked at Cain and he saw within Cain a heart that is unsatisfactory, that is somehow of the evil one, as John says. And God says, I reject your offering. I do not receive that. And then when Cain somehow hears from God that his offering has been rejected, then Cain becomes angry, then his countenance falls. So you get rejection, then you get anger, then you get depression. And that's what's going on with Cain. And out of that, Cain eventually kills his brother. So here's obstacle number one for why we sometimes do not love people that we're supposed to love. And we know we're supposed to love them, we don't. Because we have been wounded of our heart from the feelings of rejection. He is feeling this deep wound from God that God somehow has not received his offering. 
for whatever reason, probably a motivation that is impure of the evil one, but he feels rejected by God, and he is. And that's painful. There's a variety of ways that gets played out. One of the ways that's most challenging for us, those of us who have parented our children through the teen years, we know how hard it can be to help them go through that in a healthy, in a wholesome, and intact way. Because sometimes dads like me don't like guys that our daughters date. I've been there, I've done that. And praise God, they're way beyond those years. I never want to go through that again. But here's a little clip from a movie. Um, I just forgot the name of the movie. Anyways, uh, oh well. I've seen the movie, it's really good. Here's a clip of the dad, and his name is Dan, and he's trying to get rid of her, his daughter's boyfriend. See if this looks familiar to you. Come say goodbye. Window. I miss you okay, so much. She'll see him again soon enough. That's sweet. What's sweet? How, how's that sweet? To be that certain to feel so much love. Love isn't a feeling. No. It's an ability. Well, if that's true, you you have one gifted daughter. I don't know, that's hauntingly familiar to some of us who are parents. You are a murderer of love. She's feeling a sense of rejection that dad won't let her love the love of her life and she has no idea that she is incompetent of loving someone at that youthful age. That's just another aside on my part. But, but we see these feelings and sometimes the wound comes because of a boss that has not promoted, a boss that has fired. Sometimes it comes from a friend that is betrayed, that rejection. Sometimes the rejection is, is, a, is a marital thing where one spouse commits adultery and the remaining spouse feels rejected, and it's like a grief and a loss. Sometimes it's divorce where the one spouse feels rejected and abandoned and goes through a grief process of feeling rejected because her husband or his uh, wife has divorced them. There's a variety of ways. It's interesting. I was just studying this, and uh, I have a, a group of files that I, I don't file as much as I pile in my office. And so if I ever uh, die unexpectedly and have to go into my office to clean it up, you're going to hate me. But uh, I was moving some files around, and a whole bunch of files just fell down on the, on the, uh, on the front of these filing cabinets where they should have been, but I hate to file, so I pile and so they fell down, and I just left them there because I just hate to pick up all that stuff. And so it just sat there. It sat there for a few weeks, actually. I'd look over there and say, you know, sometime I should pick that up, but eh, just leave it. 
So finally this last week I started cleaning it up. I thought, you know what, um, I, it's the right thing to do, so get with it. As I started going through, I said, what is this stuff? And it's been sitting up there for years and years and years. And it's the old thing. If you haven't used it in years, you forgot you had it, you should have gotten a lot rid of it a long time ago. And so I looked through it, and what I discovered was a bunch of mail, letters that I had previously read. These were letters that came probably 15 or so years ago to me. I started looking at them. And you know what I was reading? I was reading what, in my view, is hate mail. People are telling me I'm wrong here, I'm wrong there, the elders are wrong here, they're wrong. We're being unfairly dealt with. And as I read through all those things, I started replaying in my mind's eye that episode where there were people that were rejecting me, many of us, because they didn't like decisions and ideas and there was misunderstandings and there was terrible communication going on and there was a sense of rejection and I started playing in my own heart this I'm feeling rejected all over again over these things I said Lord now I'm studying a passage that says I'm supposed to love one another I'm supposed to love the people whose names are attached to these letters And I still have a struggle saying to myself, yes, that's the right thing to do and I will do it. And so it's it's a little tiny understanding that when we go through these feelings of rejection and something stirs our heart where we once again have to replay it, it's painful. Because God knows that's why He uses Cain. He says there is one thing that you need to understand that as you go through life, you will be rejected. That's going to happen. Even good Christians get rejection letters. But God says, don't let that prevent you from doing the right thing. And so God challenges us with a story of Cain that recognized, number one, am I unable to love this person because I personally feel rejected? And to begin to work towards overcoming that. There's a second area that he talks about in Hebrews 11 as Hebrew evaluates this story of Cain and Abel. He says, By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. A better sacrifice than Cain. It may have been more of a better heart that brings the sacrifice as much as it is the sacrifice elements itself. There's kind of a duel that goes over that. And so the second thing that I realized that what's going on in Cain's life and Abel's life and sometimes goes on in my life is that we have these moments where I begin to compare. I begin to look at someone else. I begin to have a sense of jealousy and resentment. I begin to to harbor in my heart a bitterness towards someone who has something that I would like to have but I can't have and it's becoming difficult for me to love that person because by comparison they're doing better like Abel's offering is better than Cain's. So Cain looks over at Abel and he says, man, I can't handle this. They had this talk and then he goes out into the mountainside, the, uh, the wilderness, and he kills them. And for you and me, we sometimes compare with others and they have what I want or they don't have what I have to have. And it hurts me. So out of that, I, I don't want to love them. I remember one of the first churches I served in came after a very bad split. They had fired the pastor before me. That's kind of the story of my life. Um, And so the church had split. 
And then I sort of meet with another pastor in the area who has a brand new startup church. And he told me, you know what? I have some of the best people from your church now in my church. And they started doing really well and I was still struggling. But candidly, I still look back in those days. Here I am, a brand new guy out of seminary and sort of this naivety that everything's going to go well because I love the Lord. Forget that. That doesn't make anything go well. Sometimes it makes it go worse. And I found it very difficult. We would try to get together for lunch every so often. But as he would tell me stories of these, what were good people in my church that have left my church to go to his church, it became increasingly difficult for me to love him. And those are challenges. Those are things I need to understand. If I'm not loving someone from the heart and in reality and authenticity, then I need to understand, is this part of it? I'm just simply a jealous, resentful person. And I need to get over that, confess that, remove that, overcome that, and have someone come alongside me and say, here are some directions and here are some counsel, here are some ways that you can move beyond that. Obstacle number two jealousy and resentment because I begin to compare. That's what happened to Cain and Abel. Thirdly, 1 John 5.13 says, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. They will hate you. The world just simply can't understand the way we operate. The world will hate us. And so there are those that I will find difficult to love because I am hated and hurt by others. I feel this sense of hurt and sometimes it's simply a sense of rejection. I know it comes out of comparison. But there's just simply a hurt that they deliver to us. And we're just simply doing our thing. And then all of a sudden they come along. And you feel this hatred and this hurt. As First John says. Even as John is saying, I want you to love one another. And then he just starts talking about people hating you. From loving others to them hating us. It's John saying, this is part of the world in which we live. They're not going to agree with us. They're going to like us. They're not going to have the same values as us. We're going to always be in the minority of this world's value system. And the world is going to resent and hate us for who we are and how we believe. But I don't want the world to hate us because of our inability to love them. Because sometimes I'll use whatever value system that we're struggling with that we don't agree with. And maybe you heard uh, the quote that I used about the, uh, the rainbow flag in the city of Santa Ana to fly over the civic center of Santa Ana. And I sent you an email and showed you a letter I sent to the city council about that. But I don't want things like that values to cause me to be unloving towards those that have different values than me. And I may feel hated by them, but it doesn't mean that I stop loving them. And in love and grace, we reach out. It's a painful thing. I've shared with you uh, before, I've got many stories like this, and some I've already shared, but the one that stands out as I was thinking about this that maybe some of you have heard before, I remember standing out there in the lobby a number of years ago now, and a couple came up to me, and I hadn't seen them before, and they were unfamiliar to me, and they said... Do you remember us? And those, that's a hard thing when you're back there. I'm just giving you the clue in, right? Do you remember me? Oh, boy, I should remember you a little. Help me, help me, help me, help me. And I said, remind me again. And then they told me their name. And then it all came back. Oh, I remember you. 
And they were a couple that sat me down for two and a half hours and told me how I am unqualified and uncalled to the pastoral ministry. And they just raked me over the coal for two and a half hours. It was astounding. They were leaders in our church at that time. And that was the last time I saw them as I walked out the door from their home, sitting in their living room as they told me I'm uncalled and, and unqualified. And I should find some other line of work. And uh, that's not the first time I've heard that. And so <laughs> in ministry, sometimes you just, too, you just have to be dumb enough to keep doing it, even though people... But, and so pushed through that. And then when they showed up that Sunday morning out there a number of years ago, and then they told me their names, and they had aged a little bit. Fortunately, I had not. But they had aged a little bit because I didn't quite recognize them. That all came back. And I stood there about as stiff-kneed and as stiff-necked as I could probably was. And I didn't feel a whole lot of love towards them. But they acted like I was their long-lost best friend. And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, don't you remember our last time together? Shouldn't there be like an apology or something? We were wrong. We're amazed. You're still doing it. Something like that. You're astounding because you're still in ministry. But nothing. And so I, I replay those things because I want you to understand that pastors are real people too. And you may have people in your lives that are like that. That you're trying to love them. But it's so terribly hard to do it because of hurt, hate, resentment, jealousy, comparison, rejection. And these are all part of the elements of living life today. And so John says, I want you to love one another. Now let me tell you why it's going to be so hard to love one another, even though we all know we should love one another. Because there are people like that in our lives that make it so difficult. And then finally he says this, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So he lays it on the line, as Jesus said, if to hate someone is to murder someone. So you don't have to literally kill them. You can kill them in your mind by hating them. And then he goes on in Genesis, adds to that, Cain, as God said to Cain, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. You'll notice what he's talking about. If you're a, mur- if you're a hater, you're a murderer, and you don't have eternal life in you. And then Genesis says, sin has a desire for you. It's overwhelming you. You must master it. He did not master it. And so what we're seeing side by side of Genesis and 1 John is this very basic basic obstacle to loving other people. When I have an unforgiven and broken relationship with God, there's something wrong with me. It's not Abel. It's not Adam and Eve. It's not my parents and they are a dysfunctional home. So Cain says, I want to blame my daddy because he didn't spend enough time with me out in the garden. No, Cain. Your problem is that you have a broken relationship with God. 
And until you receive God's forgiveness, God's cleansing, God's holiness, until you receive the presence of the Holy Spirit to live within you, to empower you, until you receive the love of Jesus Christ and His redemption on the cross, that He died to remove all sins in your life, until you have a healed and whole and forgiven heart, you're never going to be able to love as much as you are supposed to. So the fourth obstacle is this inability for me to be right with God. And there's a lot of Christians that live carnal lives. Carnal, corrupted, spoiled, decaying. Because they're not right with the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not living in holiness every day. And we don't live in holiness, you don't live in love. And so for a lot of us, we just need to get back with the Lord. We need to have Christ as Savior and Lord. And that may be the obstacle for some of us. Because I'm just not right with the Lord. I've never been forgiven. I've never been cleansed. So, so my heart is hardened. My heart is calloused. My heart is cold towards others. Because my heart is cold and callous to God. And it may be that callousness has come out of a rejection from my parents. A rejection from a friend. A rejection from a spouse. And that has built within me a calloused, hardened heart. So I don't even feel close to God anymore. And I'm numb. Everything Dave up there is talking about, I'm numb to. Because I could care less. Because I don't care about God. Well, that's where you need to start. And we'll help you after service. Begin that journey to soften and heal the wounded heart. So how are we supposed to love one another? 1 John 5, 16-18 gives us two basic things to keep in mind. And these are pretty clear and easy. Easy to understand, I should say. We're supposed to love sacrificially. First John five sixteen says, We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Basic, basic substitutionary sacrificial love, where Jesus died on the cross in my place, He laid down His life for me, and so therefore I need to lay down my life for others. And it's so easy to say that. You know, one of the things I like to do uh, when I do a wedding... It's kind of a trick question in a way. As the bride and the groom are standing up front and they're all kind of giddy, nervous, and sweating. And you go through and you talk to the bride and the groom. And before they do the vows, I might say to the groom, do you love your, your future wife here? Of course. Jesus says you're supposed to love her like Christ loved the church. Oh, yes. How did Christ love the church? Christ died for the church. So I'll say to the groom, are you willing to die for your wife? Well, what's he going to, is he going to say no? Of course he's going to say yes. So it's kind of a trick, yeah. So he says, oh yeah, I'll die for her. Wonderful. Then anything less than death ought to become easy, right? So I say, would you be willing to pick up your dirty clothes for your wife? Would you be willing to do the laundry for your wife? Would you be willing to vacuum for your wife? Would you fill up the car with gas so she doesn't have to do it for your wife? Would you do any number of chores around the house that she asks you to do and do it in a timely and efficient way? And then suddenly the sweat gets heavier. <laughs> so wait a second. But you see, when we say we'll do the death for my wife, shouldn't everything... Because I struggle with that. 
when I, change, when I go to bed, I put my dirty clothes on the floor right next to the side of my bed. And the hamper, the clothes hamper is like three feet from that. But I still put it down here. And sometimes it'll be two or three days of accumulation down there of dirty, dirty uh, underwear. Can I say that here? Underwear. I said, what's wrong with me? There's a mental block. I have need of some heavy-duty therapy because why can't I pick up that and put it in the hamper? And joy, God bless her, she just leaves it there. She's not going to do it for me. So that's the way it is. So wives, don't pick up after your husband. He's not a baby. Let him grow up. So this morning I picked it all up and put it in there because I was going to say that today. So I don't know, maybe it was a week's worth of dirty laundry, I'm not sure. But if it's not in the hamper, it doesn't get washed. And yeah, she washes the clothes. I don't very often do that. That's one other thing. Serving others, sacrificial but serving others with good deeds and not just good words. And again, this is like so fundamental and so basic. We sort of know this. We could just rattle it off. John writes, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? If you have the ability to care for someone, to do something for them, and you don't do it, then how does the love of God abide in you? See, then it goes back to my relationship with God. I'm not right with God if I'm not giving out of that which I have to someone else. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Don't talk about love, just go do love. That's what he's saying. I want you to practice it, he says. Now, let me help make it more crystallized. You have in the bulletin this little item. I encourage you to take it in your hand. And these are little sticky things. They pop off of there. This comes right out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is this definition of breaking down what love is. For example, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. Love is not jealous because jealousy steals love. See, that's what we just talking about earlier. Love is not arrogant, etc. So each of those are sort of actions, if you will. Deeds of love. And what I would encourage you to do is to take some of those that you want to work on, stick it on your phone, stick it on your rearview mirror, stick it on your mirror in your bathroom, and just say, God, may that be my action of love today. But here's what I'd like for you to do today, right now. I'd like you to look over that list and turn to your neighbor sitting next to you that you already love. And would you just tell your neighbor... What's your strength on here? I was looking over this list this morning. It says love is patient, and the very last one is love always perseveres. I feel like I have a high degree of perseverance. <laughs> Anyways, I want good. I, I got stories to tell on that. But love perseveres. I work easily in that realm. I'm a very patient guy. Um, what are your strengths? Would you share that with your neighbor? And then think in your mind's eye, who do I need to practice this with? this week where can I put this into practice who this afternoon who tomorrow where will I put this into practice so maximize your strength don't talk about all the wins your weekend play in the area of your strengths so we're going to take three minutes would you talk to your neighbor about what's your strength when it comes to loving one another
I'm going to wrap it up. I said three minutes. I'm going to make it two minutes. You get the idea. What we encourage you to do is to consider this week, where will I put some of these into practice? And they're stickers so you can stick them and be reminders. So love is such a broad, general thing, but when you get it broken down like Paul does in 1 Corinthians 13, it's actually, you know, kind. Well, I should be kind to this person. I, I should stop being arrogant to that. I should stop being jealous. You get those breakdowns, sort of like the, the rainbow of all the colors of white. You see it all broken down. So we encourage you to get into that and discover who is it you will serve this week in working out. And it may be right here at Vacation Bible School. Thank God for the 500 volunteers we're going to have. They're going to serve here, and they're going to do indeed, not just in tongue, a loving of kids. They're going to come here. I'm going to be over in the prayer room, prayer evangelism room, with a bunch of team of other people as well. What a privilege it is to pray with these children that come in here and let them hear the gospel that they may never have heard in their lives. So it's a great opportunity. To wrap up very quickly, then, there are benefits to loving other people. John talks about them. And we don't have detailed information about this, but let me show you three quick ones. It gives you a more peaceful, confident assurance in your heart because you will feel condemned, I'll feel condemned, things don't go well, feel like I should have done better. But God says, no, I want to give you assurance. We know by this that we are of the truth. By our love for others, we know we're of the truth and will assure a heart before Him. And whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. There's this peaceful assurance that comes that I've done all that I can, even though they may still hurt, hate, reject, or resent. But God, I've done my part. Secondly, a more powerful prayer life. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do things that are pleasing in His sight. It's pleasing to the Lord that we would love other people. And we have Jesus Christ in heaven, our advocate, our attorney, the one who pleads our prayers to the Father. How blessed we are to have powerful prayers. And He says, you are so pleasing to me in loving that person. They may not have responded the way you wanted them to, but that you love them means so much to me. Your prayers are much more effective because of it. And then finally, it's a spiritually enriched and renewed life. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know this by this, that he abides in us by the Spirit who has given us. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, as he says in the previous verse, then we are cleansed and made whole and we are made well. We are holy unto God. We are right with God. And when you're right with God, blessings come our way. There is a sense of enrichment. And, and the Spirit of God lives within me and gives me power, gives me capacity, gives me teaching. It, it opens my mind and my heart to the truths of God's Word. It's a great way to live when the Spirit of God is truly in control of your life. But it has to begin with God first. One of the amazing stories I've heard on that is a woman that goes to a church here in Southern California. Her pastor shared about this woman's experience. After church, she came up, and there she was at the front of the, like up here at the front, and she was praying and crying. So the pastor came alongside of her and heard her sorry story. As it turns out that she and her husband were good friends with another husband and wife, and they would do a lot of things together, go out to dinner, etc. And then this woman that was crying at the front said, I began to get suspicious of my husband's relationship with my best friend, this woman. And the more I looked into it, I discovered that my husband was having an adulterous affair with my best friend, 
this other woman. And she was heartbroken. How could she have done this to her? How could he have done this to her? Well, as a result, they went through that, and she ended up divorcing her husband. And her husband then began to continue that relationship with this other woman. And, of course, that fell apart because it was built on a a pile of sand that has no foundation. So her husband is out. But she, amazingly, this is what, this is why, this lifts this level of love to a level that, man, I'm not sure I can get there. But this woman said, I looked at my best friend and I realized she didn't have the love of God in her heart. She's not a believer. She didn't have the love of God in her heart. So how can she love the way I'm supposed to love? So she continued to reach out to this other woman, the literal other woman and to love her and care for her until finally one day this other woman, the other woman said this there's something about you I've got to have whatever you have because I know you knew it was me and yet you witnessed to me I want to come to faith in Christ Jesus see what love does love begins to tear down barriers Love begins to heal hearts. Love begins to restore people to the God that loves them more. And when you love those people out there that may have done some of the worst things ever, you are an agent of God to draw them to Him in a dramatically new way. Let's us be people that love the way Jesus does. And as I've said time and again, Romans 2, 4, God's kindness, which is one of the attributes of love, God's kindness leads us to repentance. Not God's truth, there's a place for it, but God's kindness. You and I need to be agents of God's love that draws people to Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father God, as we bow before you and recognize that you're a mighty God that wants to work in our lives, Father, you challenge us with your scriptures that uh, tell us to love one another, and yet there are people out there that are like Cain, and they're awful to love. They're hard. I don't want to love them. And yet, God, you challenge us to do it. So help us to be the people that represents Christ well. And for any here who don't have a right relationship with you, Father, Pray, God, that your spirit would touch them, convict them, that you would draw them so that they would be forgiven and made well and whole and be able to love in ways that they never thought they could love before. God, to be made right with you first so they could be made right with others around them. Help us, Father, as we serve you. Even as we bring our offerings to you now, our offerings, like Cain and Abel brought their offerings We want to bring our offerings, and I pray we come out of a pure and holy heart of generosity that says, Lord, we want to please you by doing good, not just speaking good things. So God, help us as we give now and support the work that you've called us to do, even loving these children this coming week at V. 1,200 children will be loved by us at Calvary because out of this offering we're able to support ministries like that. Help us, Father, in the journey. In Jesus' name, amen.